0: My name's Dr. Gary Crotas, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of The Idea Mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life, and you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times, and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. The remarkable clarity that you experience in an unlocked moment can trigger significant change in your life, a change of perspective, a change of priorities, maybe a change of location or career. When you suddenly let go of what's been holding you back, the opportunities that appear ahead can be extraordinary. My guest today is an expert in making change happen, and he's lived that experience himself. Alex Budak is on the faculty at the Haas School of Business at the University of California, Berkeley. He's a social entrepreneur and the author of the new book, Becoming a Changemaker. He believes everyone has the potential to lead positive change, and he dedicates his life to helping people from all walks of life become changemakers. Budak co-founded StartSomeGood.com, a platform that breaks down the barriers that prevent people from enacting change. StartSomeGood.com has now helped over 1,000 changemakers in 50 countries raise over $12 million catalyze new initiatives. He previously ranks Sweden's leading social innovation incubator, Reach for Change, and worked at change.org. Alex has given lectures on change-making, entrepreneurship, and leadership in venues ranging from the Ukraine to Cambodia, Los Angeles to the Arctic Circle, and at the White House and UN agencies. Becoming a Changemaker is his first book and is just out. Drawing from his UC Berkeley courses, the book gives readers the tools and confidence required to become changemakers. I'm looking forward to hearing about the unlock moment when Alex realized that not only could he be a changemaker, but that more importantly, every single person can be a changemaker. He describes it as a moment that catalyzed his career and became the red thread, connecting his work as a social entrepreneur and academic. I love people who love change, and I can't wait to find out more. Alex Budak, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment.
1: Gary, thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation.
0: Thank you, Alex. So often people can link the decisions and actions in their life to their experiences growing up and and, and getting on. When you look back, is there a thread that connects your life's journey? Where do you track all of this change back to? Oh, you know, I'm a change maker, so I hope you don't mind. I'll choose two threads
1: here instead of one. So I think there's two threads connect back. And so the the first is that I think at my core, I'm a teacher. I didn't realize that until I joined the faculty at Berkeley Haas. But so much of what I've done in my personal and professional life has been about teaching. And so I didn't know it at the moment. As I look back, I've always gravitated towards chances to be in a sort of teacher educator role. And so now it makes all too much sense going forward, though I may not have known it at the moment. And then I guess the second thread, which is interwoven with the first, is this belief that each of us can lead change and that my mission in life is to help people find that potential, ignite their inner change maker and get started. And so I think when you weave those two together, uh, it's quite natural, even if I didn't always know it at the moment.
0: And when you were young, when you were, when you were a child, did you recognize this? When you look back to yourself as a child, do you recognize this sort of? comfort with change or interest in change when you're growing up?
1: Yeah, I think both change and also leadership. So, uh, of course, as a kid growing up in the United States, my dream career was to be starting second baseman for the Chicago Cubs. I didn't quite have athletic acumen, uh, but quickly I loved being a coach. I loved being a manager. Uh, and so I love that idea of like how a team How you can bring a team together where the sum is greater than the individual parts. Even from a very young age, I was obsessed with that. And so, of course, through the lens of sport at that point, but always sort of thinking about leadership what can we do together as a team. But then again, also, I think this like thread of questioning the status quo has always been part of who I am. Um, I come from a family which is deeply connected to UC Berkeley, which is where I work now. My mom, my dad, my uncle, my grandmother, even class of 1940. And I decided at a young age, I would not go to Berkeley. I would go to UCLA, the sort of sister brother school. Uh, my dad is a dentist, and I think he dreamed that perhaps his son would be a dentist just like him. And I think I was only like age four or five when I told him, Dad, nope, I'm not going to do that. And I stayed true to that. So I guess there's a sort of a streak of changemaker in me, even from a young age.
0: And in terms of your your purpose, I'm always very interested in people that that have a sort of deep sense of purpose for what they do. And I think that comes through in your story for your Unlock Moments. So, you know, we talk about these Unlock Moments, this sort of remarkable moment of clarity that really guided the shape of your career after that time. So talk us through the the, the journey that you went on where, where you had this moment of remarkable clarity.
1: Well, I've always been interested in leading some type of change, but honestly had no idea really how to go about it. Um, after finishing university, I decided to go to graduate school and to study public policy. And so where better in the United States to study public policy than Washington, D.C.? Um, and as I got there, I started realizing that I think I had a little too much of an entrepreneurial streak in me compared with my fellow classmates who are amazing change makers. People get into policy to lead change. But their lens of change often came from the big institutions, the World Bank, the IMF. And... I did okay in graduate school, certainly not great, uh, but I had the chance between my first and second year to go live and work in India. I was in Ahmedabad in the West, in the state of Gujarat. And while I was there, I had the chance to do some volunteer work. So I did some work with a grassroots organization. They worked with girls from the local community, and they used sport as a tool for teaching healthy habits and leadership. And I don't want to overstate my case. I did not play a very important role here. I was just a volunteer. It was about the community, about the local leaders. But as I worked with them, I had this moment of clarity that was so powerful, which is that for so much of my life, I had thought that to create change, it had to be from the big institutions. But there, I saw firsthand that there's change makers literally all around the world, people like the leaders of this Amnibod girls' sports club that wanted to create change and create change in a way that's true to who they are and their community and their lived experience. And so I distinctly remember as I would spend my afternoons with them, then the evening sort of walking back along the crowded streets, my mind would wander and I would think about just how much my perspective on change was, well, well, changing. Um, and so inspired by that experience, I really have dedicated my professional life to thinking about how can we empower changemakers that are all around the world, people just like this group of leaders I got to meet, um, to help them get unstuck, get the resources they need and to equip them to go be changemakers.
0: And in that, in that time, was there a specific moment, a conversation, a thing you observed, a thing you experienced that was like more like a flash of clarity, or was it something that became clear to you over a period of time?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess there are a couple of flashes, you know, the first time that I got in there and realized just how profound the impact was, I think that we tend to focus so much on the hard skills that people are learning. When I realized that, you know, we were teaching sport, but as I saw, you know, one girl calling out to another, cheering another one on when she fell down, Uh, It's some of those like what we might call soft skills, but kind of the in between skills, the courage, the um, care that we're teaching. Where I realized, oh, those are things that really matter too. Um, And so there were a couple of those sparks, but then also a bit like a sieve. I think the more that I spent time with it, then um, what left got left behind became really um, clear for me. As I sort of let the stones settle, as I would take those walks, um, I really had to change my preconceived notions on change, and that really challenged me. Um, And as I did, I started seeing things in a really completely new way.
0: It's really interesting. I I talked to a lot of people about this idea that, um, you know, if you you live your life in a world of kind of frameworks and uh, science and sort of thinking about behavioral change in quite a structured way, you kind of forget about the humanity of it. And it's very interesting. I've, you know, I've had a couple of people on the podcast from the US who've, who've both had their unlock moments in India. And, and it, was, it was about this sort of, I'm in so far out of the world I've been used to being in, and suddenly it gives me the opportunity to see things in a new light. But actually what you describe you're seeing is something very simple that maybe was there in the US as well, you know, but, but you wouldn't necessarily have seen it in the same way. And I do think there's something fascinating about the environment that you put yourself in that enables a remarkable moment of clarity to happen, even though that's not a predictable event. And and for me, I find that just a really fascinating kind of challenge to explore and try and unpack. Gary, I
1: think you helped me have a little unlock moment right here as we're talking, because what you said really connects back to where I was as I was heading to India. So public policy is a wonderful field to study. It's kind of the intersection of politics, philosophy, economics. But I distinctly remember being in the computer lab, running the regression analysis, And in policy school, we get so good at learning what the data show we should have as a policy. But often missing for me was the why. Well, why should we have this? I can see that this is the result that happens on this healthcare plan if we do this. But why are we doing that? And I think um, being so focused on the framework, we tended to lose track of the humanity. And so as I was thinking about where I would spend my summer between my first and second year, I had a, a few choices. I knew I wanted to go get outside of the U.S., But the traditional paths for someone at my school, uh, the general options would be um, Berlin, Singapore, India, or the UK. And I purposely chose India because it was the most different from anything that I had experienced before. I had already lived in Berlin. I spoke German. That was very comfortable to me. Um, And India was the one that felt like the biggest stretch. And so I think in having the courage to make that leap, Perhaps it opened me up to being more receptive to these moments than I otherwise would have been had I been in another wonderful city like Berlin but one that was a little bit more comfortable to me
0: one of the things I find when I talk to people about these unlocked moments the ones that are really meaningful for them is they can describe where they were who they were with what they were experiencing at that moment so when when you think back to that environment in in, in India that place those conversations those things you're observing what do you remember what's what's that experience that sort of Five senses experience that you remember at that time when it was so meaningful and it it had such impact on, you know, the career you went on to have, the life you went on to have.
1: Yeah, I've got this one image, which fortunately, I guess, I had the foresight to just grab a quick photo of with my very uh, primitive at the time uh, cell phone, and it's of all of us sort of gathered up. So we had a practice on these dirt fields of omnibod. The sun was setting behind us, and it's this beautiful sunset, sort of the whirlwind of the the dirt and the, the light as it's fading. And so at the end of each practice, we would all circle up. We'd put our hands into the middle of the circle, and then in Gujarati, we would yell sort of, three, two, one, team. And as we did that, I have a picture of us all reaching our hands together. And so it's all these tiny little hands, and of course, my hand sort of standing out among others. Um, but to me, that really symbolized like how we were all coming together in this, that like, you know, there were quite literally different teams as we would have these practices, but we'd come together and say team because we're all in it together. Um, and I think that sort of visceral reminder of like, hey, um, different paths, different experiences, we all come together in this. And then from there, we can go wherever we may. Um, so that's a, a moment that comes to mind for me. And again, fortunately for me, I have that sort of picture um, captured in time.
0: And it's interesting. I mean, this is an audio podcast, so listeners can't see you, but I can see you, and, and I can I can tell the listener that you can see that this means something to you. This is, this is more than just another story. This is something that you that you really it's 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 something deeper for you. This experience that you, you you've been through. So it's very interesting to to observe you talking it through. So so now when you're teaching your courses in California to your students who you know might have lived in more of that kind of america bubble that you've been in before what do you teach differently what do you say differently because now you have this the different appreciation of the why and and the impact and you know something broader than the policy what what do you say differently
1: yeah i bring a radically inclusive lens to my change making i think that when we hear the word changemaker and perhaps your listeners, as you hear the word changemaker, someone comes to mind for you, you know, maybe it's a Gandhi or Martin Luther King or someone like that. And there's a role for that type of changemaker to be sure. But what I find is that when we put those heroes up on a pedestal, it can often feel a little bit exclusive that we say, well, I'm not naturally charismatic. I'm not an extrovert like them. I don't have that following. I could never do that. And so if that's what you expect out of a changemaker, well, that's, that's not me. And so as I teach, it's really important to me that I talk about how each of us can lead positive change from wherever we are, that Nobel Prize winners have just as much of a claim to the title of changemaker as a product manager who's pushing forward innovations from, from where they might be sitting. As I do so, I'm very conscious that I bring in guest speakers to my class. And I do bring in some big names, you know, people like Mohammed Yunus, again, a Nobel Prize winner has spoken. But also that I try to bring in people from all walks of life who have led positive change so that each of my students can see a little bit of themselves in that person. So not every single guest speaker will resonate with every single student. But my approach is that each student will see at least a little bit of themselves in at least one guest speaker, someone who will sort of illuminate that path forward. And maybe they go, mm, you know, before this, I thought change making was something that they do. But now I realize change making, that's, that's something I do.
0: And that's and that's a really radical perspective to go, it's it's them too, it could be me too.
1: And that's the most magic moment that I have now as an educator. So I have this great privilege that throughout the semester teaching these students, that I get to be present for that light bulb moment, that moment where they go, aha, uh-huh, I can be a change maker, you know, their own unlock moment, perhaps. Um, sometimes it happens in the very first class. Students have told me that. Sometimes it takes a full semester and that's fine. But for nearly every student, at some point, they have that unlock moment where they go, oh, okay, I have more potential to lead change than I ever thought. I can actually do this. And that's a really beautiful thing to get to witness.
0: I was giving a talk last week on the unlock moment to a group. And and I said to them, I woke up this morning and I was excited to come and meet you all because I had the hope that in something I might say, it might trigger something in one of you or possibly more. But I'm okay with the idea that it's just the hope, that it's maybe just one thing i say, that it might just have an impact on one of you. But that's enough. It's like it's that excitement that you know, you're, you're hunting those sparks and they're unpredictable. But when they come, it can change your life. You know, I think that's a, it's, it's just a fascinating journey to be on. So tell me more about the book, you know, Becoming a change maker. This is your first book. Congratulations to, for getting into writing it. I wrote mine last year, my first book. And uh, I, I, I can tell you from experience that it's a painful journey but a very fulfilling one. So congratulations for making it over the line.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, congratulations to you as well. Um, you know, I come from it. I'm a reluctant author. There's some people who set out to write books. That's not me. <laughs> I, I knew going into it just how hard it would be. Um, but I decided to go for it. Once I had enough students who told me how the class changed their life, and they would say, hey, this needs to be a book. And the first maybe five or 10, I brushed off. But then when it got to be a couple of dozen and I started saying, okay, maybe there's something there. And again, kind of unlocking my educator thread, my changemaker thread and saying, okay, maybe I could actually be of service here. And it is a journey for sure, writing a book, but it's their stories, the stories of my students, the magic I've seen in the classroom. That's what drove me to keep going.
0: Amazing. So, so tell me what's the makeup of a changemaker?
1: So I break the book down into three parts. And so we start with a changemaker mindset. Those are traits, characteristics that all changemakers have. Um, now, changemaking may sound a little bit fuzzy to you, and I get it. Um, you know, I'm at Berkeley, which is grounded in academia and empirical research. So I've set out to do the first ever longitudinal study to try to understand how do changemakers develop over time. We call it the Changemaker Index. And your listeners, if you'd like, you can even take the index yourself. It's changemakerbook.com slash index. And we try to measure, well, what are the traits changemakers have? And what do the most effective change makers have? And so we discuss those things like resilience and empathy and curiosity and things that I think all changemakers need. From there, we talk about changemaker leadership and the way we teach leadership and especially in business schools today is often broken. And so I try to talk about, well, from my own experience as a social entrepreneur and seeing these trends in leadership. What should leaders today be thinking about? So trends like influence without authority or coming up with a vision and inspiring others to be part of that vision for change with you. And then the third part is changemaker action. So how do you take those crucial but really challenging first steps in working with thousands of changemakers around the world? I know that change can often feel really exciting, but also completely (laughs) paralyzing and terrifying. And so I developed a tool, which I unveiled for the first time in this book called the Changemaker Canvas. It breaks complex, even overwhelming change down into small, meaningful and actionable steps. So that way you can fill out the canvas and you can feel like, OK, now I can shift this from a strategy question to an execution challenge. I've figured out all the things I need to do. I've put the hard work and the thinking into it. And now I've just got to put my first step in front of my second step and so on and just start building that change. And I hope that it can be a real courage builder for would-be changemakers.
0: And never a better time to write the book, Becoming a Changemaker, when we're in the most volatile and uncertain times probably ever experienced in our lifetime. So, you know, how do people navigate the times we're in now where not only do we not know what to do next but we have no idea what world we're going into so it's even it's, it's impossible to predict the future so how do people navigate in that kind of it's impossible to be certain kind of space mm,
1: yeah i think back to um in the us in march of 2020 um we immediately shifted from uh, in-person teaching to remote teaching and we got an email from our chancellor on a monday at about 3 p.m saying okay Going forward, we're switching to remote. And my class was 10 a.m. the next day. So I had less than 24 hours to pivot to remote teaching. And in that first class, one of my students said something to me, which was really wise. She said, Hey, none of us know what we're doing. We're just making it up as we go. So let's have fun with it. And I really like that mindset because we so often think that everyone else has it figured out and we're the ones that don't. But especially in a volatile, uncertain world like this, no one really knows. And so so much of what we need to do is get comfortable with change. I teach people in the book how to get so comfortable with change that you cannot just survive it, but you can navigate shape and steer it. But I think change is also like a muscle. I think the more we can practice it, the better we'll be when bigger change comes. So I tell the story of Two Birds Brewery, which is the first ever woman-owned brewery in Australia. They're based in Melbourne. And as you can imagine, they have a legacy of questioning the status quo. And so when COVID hit, so many of us as individuals, as organizations were caught flat-footed where we knew we had to innovate, but we just didn't know how. Well, because Two Birds Brewery had built up this uh, infrastructure of being adaptable to change, they pivoted within days. They launched a drive-through bottle shop, they did a delivery service, and whereas so many other breweries went out of business, they actually thrived because they had the sort of muscles trained to be like, okay, you know, we can't predict this type of change. We could not know this is coming but we can adapt it, we can rally with it. And that's something each of us can do as change makers, I think, is prepare ourselves.
0: I'm on the board of a dance institution in the UK that's one of the sort of UK equivalents to Juilliard in in the US. And uh, when you were talking about the pivot to online learning, and I was thinking, that's that's a dance school, and they pivoted their dance training online. Um, And it was remarkable. And there is actually one of the most inspirational films I've seen online from the pandemic, it's a film about Rombert School, which is this institution, uh, and it's called A Way As One. And it's something that I always encourage my listeners to to go and watch. And it's about a 20-minute video or so, I think. And it's showing these dancers who, for a year, were doing their professional dance training in their bedrooms. You know, And uh, the teacher was on Zoom trying to see in these tiny little windows on the screen the quality of their training. And it was really remarkable that you could see how how able people were to be able to pivot their thinking and their action at remarkable pace. Um, And I do think now, as with different countries, different paces, but starting to come out of the other side of the pandemic, people are still reverting back to their old difficult-to-change mindsets. So it's quite difficult to hold that kind of muscle memory of of, of how to be adaptable and how to change. As we're going back to normal times, it, it feels as though we're going slow again. What was, what was your experience of the kind of the the, the post-pandemic era for you?
1: Yeah, that there's so many of us that want to rush back to that sense of normalcy. Um, according to Mohammed Yunus, who spoke to my class, he talked about, um, you know, we're on this rush to get back on the roads we were driving. But he said, shouldn't we be building different roads? Maybe the roads that we were on aren't actually the roads that we need. And so what a great chance to have that pause. Um, I've been really inspired thinking about the organizations the companies that got thrown into change, but came out with new identities as a result. So I think about here in the San Francisco Bay area, which is kind of a, a foodie haven, there is this, um, you know, very elite, like fancy expensive restaurant, one I could never afford kind of place. But the chef had always dreamed of doing a fried chicken sandwich. And so he said, OK, look, we're not going to do fancy indoor dining for a while. So let's try this thing out and let's see what happens. And so I love when people are able to pivot and find something new. A way we can think of it in a very like economic way is we can think about the switching costs. So I mean, switching costs help us understand why we get locked in to things, you know, why we stay on the iPhone instead of the Android, because it just is too much pressure, too much effort to rebuy our apps and so on. Um, So switching costs are normally very high when it comes to leading change. But when there's so much uncertainty, so much volatility, so much shifting all around us, well, the opportunity cost, the shifting cost there can actually be much lower. If everything else is changing, well, then the risk of trying something new is actually much lower. And so I hope that we can keep that same mindset even a year, two, three years from now, um, which is that maybe it's not quite as risky to try things Uh, Abigail Scholar does some interesting work at the University of Arizona. She talks about when risk-seeking becomes a motivational necessity and talking about, well, let's say you're kind of interested in risk, your boss isn't. Well, there's actually powerful research that showed that sometimes the most compelling case you can make is to tell your boss, hey, I know it seems risky to pursue plan X, but actually when everyone else is changing, when everyone else is innovating, our riskiest bet is to not change, to not try something new. And I think that's a framework that maybe some of us as change makers can value even today.
0: I love that. What are some exercises that people can do to start to develop themselves as as change makers, do you think?
1: Well, I'll share one, which I read about in the book, which is based off of a a class that I teach at Berkeley, which has become sort of legendary on campus. Uh, So we spend uh, a couple of hours talking about failing and failing forward. And Um, We do some case studies. We do some empirical research, um, some discussions, some frameworks. And then towards the end of class, I flash up a slide, which simply has two words, go, fail. And my students start kind of laughing nervously. And then I go to the next slide, which says, okay, you've got 10 minutes. You have to go leave the classroom, ask for something, get rejected, and you can't come back until you get a no. And my students, these are achievers, perhaps like many of your listeners, that are used to not failing. And here I am telling them to go fail on purpose. And so they sort of nervously shuffle out of the classroom. And then when they come back, the energy is just off the charts. And when they come back, we find that one of two things happens. For about one third of people, um, they ask for something. Sure, they'll get a rejection. And they actually get a yes. I think about one woman who went to the cafe and she said, "Uh, hi, could I have an orange juice for free? Expecting a no. And the barista said, yeah, okay. And she said, "Uh uh-oh, I'm supposed to get a rejection. Can I have two? And he said, yeah, okay, here's a second one. Uh, Okay, can I have three? And fortunately at that point he said no. uh, But she still got two orange juices and came back with orange juice for for a couple of us. Um, Which is an empowering lesson, which is that we so often set ourselves up for failure because we're sure that we'll get rejected. So we don't even ask in the first place. But as about one-third of my students find, they actually get a yes. And then for the other two-thirds, they realize that well, failure isn't fatal. You know, no one laughed at them. They didn't get in trouble. Um, they can respond. They can move forward. And they often come back with a renewed sense of confidence that comes from putting yourselves out there, getting a no, surviving it, and coming back a bit stronger for it. Uh, so I read about that in the book as well. And that's a challenge for your listeners, perhaps, um, is to try to go out there and purposely fail and, and see what happens.
0: That is a great exercise. I- I'm going to try that now, and that, that, that's, that's a really cool thing to do. Who's the perfect reader of this book? Who are the people that should go and get a copy of this book tomorrow, beyond obviously everybody? But, but who are the people where you're like, you know, you would really benefit from reading this book right now?
1: So here's one of the things you probably appreciate as an author, is that when you put a book out into the world, you don't know what the response will be until it's out there. And so one of the things that I've found is that it's really resonating with people who are maybe like age 30 to 45 people are maybe kind of like middle manager directors, people maybe like have seen change efforts come and go, um, and they felt stuck on them. Or someone who has enough experience to sort of know like, hey, I can see a better path forward. I really want to do this. But for whatever reason, culturally, institutionally, or just personality wise, you just feel like, oh, I'm not going to take action on that. And so um, it's, of course, grounded in a class, which I teach for undergraduates and MBAs. So people mostly in their 20s, but I think I've been uh, pleasantly surprised by just how it's resonating with folks like 30 to 45 who see this as a bit of permission they need, a bit of a toolkit that they need, and a bit of an unlock for them to uh, ignite their inner change maker.
0: I really like that. Oh, and when you've come through this journey and you've you like, i got the badge, I've got the t-shirt as a, as a change maker, from your perspective, what does it feel like? What does it feel like when you're there, when you have this mindset, when you have this approach?
1: So uh, to bring Art back into the conversation, I, I love the poet Amanda Gorman. And so she writes in The we Climb, that's the poem she delivered at the inauguration of Biden and Harris. Um, the final three lines are, for there is always light if we're brave enough to see it, if we're brave enough to be it. And I think that encapsulates nicely what it means to be a changemaker, for there's always light. So you're, as a changemaker, what does it feel like? It feels like there's always a better way That tomorrow can always be better than today is. That there's a sense of grounded optimism, not toxic positivity, but sort of grounded optimism that says like, yeah, I think things could be even better. Change is possible. But only we're brave enough to see it. It requires our ability to see things that others may not see, to look into systems, to look into processes, to imagine something that others may not quite see yet. To be that candle in the dark illuminating a path. And then the final line, brave enough to be it, that as changemakers, we have this bias towards action. It's not enough to just identify things that could be changed. That in and of itself is not enough. That's not a changemaker. But we have this, I think, sense of agency is how I describe it. This feeling like, okay, there is an opportunity here. There's a problem here. There's something. And you know what? I trust myself to get going with it. I may not do it perfectly. As we learn from failure, I probably will fail along the way but I at least give myself that permission to try to do something about it. And so I think as change makers, we have that sort of grounded optimism, that ability and willingness to question the status quo, and then also that sense of agency to take action from where we are.
0: Fantastic. What's next for you? What what are you going to be doing now you've got this book out there? What's coming up in the next 12 months for you? Oh, I'm just so excited to see how this book lands out into
1: the world. So giving lots of talks to companies, to organizations, to universities, to networks, uh, to just expand on the message of the book and to support changemakers from wherever they are. So yeah, moving a lot into sort of teaching and speaking and using this book as a jumping off point. A book is the most socially acceptable means of talking about ideas. And so I'm really trying to leverage that to say, hey, this is a great way to talk about the ideas of being a changemaker. And you know, I'm so inspired. I, again, I have that great privilege of seeing students right before my eyes that spark up as a change maker. And so now my hope is to meet with diverse communities, folks from all walks of life, and to help them have their own unlock moments uh, where they realize that they can become a change maker.
0: Fantastic. If people have enjoyed listening to you in this conversation, how can they find out more about you and get in touch with you? And how can they get a copy of the book?
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, I always love connecting with folks. So my most active social network is LinkedIn. So please, please connect with me there. I share lots of ideas, resources, tips for changemakers. Uh, you can visit my website, which is alexbudak.com. Get in touch with you there. And then, yeah, if you feel inspired, would love for you to pick up a copy of the book. It's available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other uh, local uh, bookstores all around the world as well.
0: That's great. The Unlocked Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead for changemaker Alex Budak. It was when he was living in India and saw what it was like on the ground for grassroots changemakers trying to overcome barriers. that made him realize he wanted to dedicate his life to helping people make change happen. Alex, thank you so much for joining me today on The Unlocked Moment. Gary, it was a joy. Thanks for having me. This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on the unlock moment.